Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. A little about me, I'm the founder and president at ABS. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Dr. Catherine Jolma, a pediatrician and mother of a young gentleman with autism. We're thrilled to learn more about her experience as a parent and a pediatrician with autism in the real world. Please do remember that what Dr. Jolma is sharing is not individualized medical advice. Every family is different and every child with autism is different. Subsequently, all medical treatment plans will vary. Today's topic is sleep and the effect that poor sleep and sleep habits have on children with autism. To me, the subject is so timely, not just because I have uh, what my children commonly describe as raccoon eyes, but rather that in our day-to-day life, disruptions in schedule due summer and now COVID school schedules have created additional challenges, at least in my home. Uh, We have additional screen time, less structured evening routines, less social and physical activity. Ultimately, these situations lead to irregularity of sleep that has created increased chaos and distress um, more than typical. Um, Dr. Jolma, as as you've started seeing children back for well checks at the beginning of the school year, is is my experience that much different than the families that that you're seeing right now? Not at all. Um, And this is true for neurotypical as well as children with autism. Um, I think the stress of returning to school during the coronavirus pandemic, along with the increased screen time they're engaging with in for school, as well as reduced exercise, um, possibly you know, excessive social media engagement, um, have all kind of um, uh, impaired their ability to sleep and get good rest. Now, you said this is happening for, for all children. I mean, it's... Um... Is, it, is there any difference to the impact that a child or a family of, of a, a child with autism might feel? I mean, would it be different? Is it more exaggerated? Um, I, I think so to a degree. I think some children on the spectrum, those who have learned good habits, uh, sometimes are really, really good about sticking to those habits and, and might be doing even better than a neurotypical child who's sort of gotten sucked into the world of social media and screen time. Um, But most kids on the spectrum who who struggle with sleep are struggling more. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, a reduction in their structured activities and uh, sports and recreation because um, activity and fitness is so, so important for sleep. Yeah, I mean, and I can see that not just for the the children that that we care for at ABS with autism, but I also see that in my day to day life is that whether it's not being able to get outside, like you were saying, or not eating appropriately, or not having social interaction the way that they're used to is that I mean, you're seeing an increase of all these symptoms, which might lead to not going to bed on time, which might lead to having additional kind of, uh, I guess, uh, input at night where they're, where they're getting too much sensory going on and they can't get it out. They can't get that exertion or that, uh, that output to help them sleep. 
Um, so why do people with autism have more difficulty with sleeping? Um, that's a really good question. There, there are multiple reasons. Um, sort of the, the, the physiologic reason that people with autism might have difficulty sleeping is that they have a dysregulation in their internal production of a chemical called melatonin, which is related to a person's circadian rhythms. Um, so there's, they have kind of a difference in the way their body produces and metabolizes melatonin, but they also have increased rates of anxiety. Um, and they also may have differences in their sleep hygiene habits, which may or may not have been, um, you know, reinforced by families to a degree. So these can all play, play a big role in, um, in sleep. You were just talking about the, an individual's inability to, to really produce that melatonin. But, um, I mean, on a personal level, I mean, when, when your child was younger, what, what was his experience with sleep like? Did you have to battle this? It's always interesting to me when somebody who specializes in pediatric care or specializes in behavioral health is running into these same challenges. Did, did you experience sleep problems with your son? We experienced lots of sleep problems from, from early infancy. Um, my son was, um, he was very uh, fussy, difficult to soothe and difficult to teach self-regulation from the very first months. Um, you know, we chalked it up to colic and, and reflux, but he was very, very difficult to get to sleep. And, and we, I think, unwittingly uh, reinforced a lot of behaviors that kept him up at night. Um, for a long time, I would, I would feed him at night. Sometimes we would even co-sleep. All those things that I tell my families not to do, uh, we did because it was very difficult to get to sleep. And for, for anybody in the house to get any rest, that's kind of what, that's sort of what we needed to do. Um, and I think many families fall into this fall into this, um, this path, um, kind of out of desperation for a good night's sleep. I, and, and you know what I would say is that I empathize with all of that. As a parent, you're trying just to figure out exactly, you know, what's going to work for me right now. I'm, I'm tired myself. I'm at my wit's end. And when you look at behaviorally is that you have some of these techniques that you might be putting in, you might be saying, Hey, let's get rid of the screen time. But as a parent, it's hard to shut off the screen if that's giving you your relaxation time. Um, you might say, hey, let's, um, let's create this environment where we can start soothing our child and doing that earlier on. But that takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of planning to put this sensory diet, they'd call it, in place to get your child ready to sleep. Um, as, you're, as you're looking at this, both as a parent and as a medical professional, I mean, how are you coaching families? Because this is not easy and it's not going to be a quick fix. I mean, what is, what is your advice to parents that are, I mean, are going to have to challenge this uh, immediate uh, gratification of, can I give them a, t a television show or do I have to stick to this plan? And what's your advice? Well, um, I will try to be the best cheerleader I can be in telling them that they really need to be consistent and they really need to, to follow through on their plan. I will advise them to, um, to, to, you know, to be aware that there are going to be, there are going to be some nights, maybe many nights where it's a struggle, but in the end, everyone will be resting better. 
Um, I advise them to, to plan a time where they know they're going to be sleepless for a little while because usually if you're trying to implement some behavioral changes, you're going to have a little spike in those behaviors and sleep's mm-hmm. going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. Um, but again, remember that in the end, everyone's going to be sleeping better. And lastly, to enlist any family, friends, behavior therapist who can um, give give the parents a chance to take a nap, go out and get exercise, take care of themselves too, because if you're not taking care of yourself, it's going to be really hard to um, to be consistent and to, to make these positive changes for your child. Yeah, and I mean, it, it does. It takes a village. Um, it takes a, a variety of people, especially because if you yourself, as you're working through this, are depriving yourself of sleep in order to help your child, uh, you're, you're going to be struggling with being able to keep your own routine in place, with being able to think through things. I know for me, when I get tired, it's hard to process. Um, is, and, and that's as an adult. I, what, I mean, what are some of the consequences that you see as parents and for the child that this lack of sleep could be causing because not only now do we need to start solving the sleep problem, but on a daily basis, like there are, there are components of this that are going to keep aggregating. It's going to get worse and worse because no sleep means that you're missing out on key functioning um, requirements for living. That's absolutely true. Um, if a child isn't sleeping and from personal experience, Uh, When my son was small, there would be maybe two or three nights a week where he would wake up at two or three in the morning and just be up, um, you know, and not be tired, be up. And he wasn't really safe to just leave. So um, so usually I would be up with him and that would later in the day cause him problems with, you know, poor attention, um, um, difficulties with learning that some sometimes aggressive behaviors and more tantrums. So for, for a child, it's going to cause problems with learning and acquiring new skills if they're not sleeping well. And for a parent, um, it's going to cause exhaustion. It's going to cause stress at home, stress in a marriage. Um, in some cases, it might cause inabilities, inabilities to work or certainly stress your relationship with the people that you work with. Um, and um, yeah, it, it, it bleeds into all functions of life and and poor sleep has been shown to impact general health as far as weight gain um there are all kinds of health problems that have been linked to chronic sleep deprivation so it's um pretty important now it sounds like i mean if you're looking at a treatment plan for a child or young adult with autism if sleep is interfering then you should really be kind of reprioritizing that as the number one thing to treat in order to access any other thing, whether that's social skills, whether that's their education plan, whether that's being able to build on job skills, is that if they're not getting that sleep, it's it's that crutch that's going to not support them going forward and developing all these needed skills that are that enable them in life. And I think that's for everybody. Um, but even more so for somebody with developmental delays where they're already playing catch up in certain areas and it makes it that much harder. Um, as, I mean, as a pediatrician, I mean, what myths are out there that, that you're saying, hey, these are, these are the myths that people are hearing that are quick fixes for sleep. Is there anything that, that is kind of a de- debunkable myth that you're hearing coming through your office? Um. 
Not so much regarding sleep. I have people asking about complementary and alternative treatments for sleep. Um, and um, we used to consider melatonin as sort of a complementary and alternative treatment. Not, not really. It's, it's used fairly frequently. But I don't want to get into really recommending a medication because every, every child is different. And while melatonin might be right for a given child, that's something that should be discussed with their their physician. Um, but there are other medications. Um, I've heard people ask about magnesium, um, other supplements, none of which have really been shown to help and could certainly cause harm. So um, yeah, there aren't really quick fixes. Um, and um, you know, the best treatments, I think, would rely on behavioral techniques. So I think working with a child's behavioral team to implement a plan. And if that plan is not working, then um, yeah, discussing with one's physician whether medications might be appropriate or whether there's a different problem causing sleep um, impairment, because there certainly are some other intrinsic sleep problems that could be affecting a child as well. I think that uh, I think that that's wonderful advice. But and I, the hard part of it is the fact that it's almost like a double-edged sword. Is that you know what's going to work best, but you also are constantly looking for what's going to be the quick fix. Yep. And sometimes those two things don't necessarily always align. And um, whether you're choosing melatonin, like you described, it sounds like. There, there's typically a behavioral health treatment to pair with it, to be able to create new ways of adapting, new ways of setting up your, your evening routine or new ways of scheduling your body that you might want to add into the treatment, even if you are utilizing medication. Is that, is that accurate, the way that you would be seeing it for most people? Absolutely. Um, I think... For an example, for some children with autism who have a certain degree of anxiety, which is many of them, um, sometimes a medication to help them settle down will help them access a behavioral plan that that that's aimed towards getting them sort of reset to going to bed earlier or staying in bed when they wake up in the middle of the night. Sometimes that um, you know, a medicine can sort of take the edge off so that they're actually able to do that without getting themselves into a, an anxiety mediated um, uh, frenzy or, you know, or, or if you will, um, where they have to sort of break protocol and go try to get their parents or, or get whatever they're, they're wanting. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I, I look at the behavioral treatments all the time and from, from my point of view, it's, they all have extreme value to them, whether it is um, going through the process of, of sensory dieting, knowing what is soothing for your child and probing that and really understanding, do I need to do a, a warm bath before bedtime? Do I dim the lights? Do I give them a better sleep condition in their rooms where I have maybe um, a better uh, blanket or a more... Um, congested bed. I got my stuffed animals on there. I got things making me feel cozy. Um, or is it, or is it as simple as being able to create the the right sounds in the room so that the child can get into that mood to be able to sleep? But I would always reflect back to there are things that are going to be stimulating before bedtime for adults or for children that are going to be super important for us to to take a look at, and that would be. 
um, the high energy right before bed, the screen time right before bed, the things that are creating so much more of that um, energy and output um, right before you want to get into a soothing situation. Um, do you have recommendations that, that you give to families or that you all have used on establishing that routine? Um, what worked What worked for you all when your son was going through it? What was your routine? Well, um, well, we would have a... a we would have a warm bath and a story. Our problem wasn't so much going to bed as it was staying asleep. Our big problem was a child who wanted milk in the middle of the night. Um, and I did lots of things to try to modify the bedroom in- environment to keep him to keep him in bed. We purchased several different kinds of bed, went to Ikea, got a bed that was kind of like a little cave to see if maybe being a little cozier would keep him in bed. That didn't work. Got him a, you know, a full size bed. That didn't work. In the end, I got rid of every cup in the house that had a lid, no more sippy cups. And that's what did it. After that, after what he wanted was no longer available, he started sleeping through the night. So, um, and that took a couple nights of there were a few nights of crying but really it 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 was something that made my husband and I think wow why didn't we do this like three years ago um so you know it's something that you know in your heart of heart is right when we talk about like nighttime feedings it's like well just don't just don't give it to them when they know it's not available the behavior will will stop and and it's true it's hard and you know you feel like you're betraying your child this thing that they so desperately want to go back to bed but it's really the best thing for them you know they'll be healthier they'll be better rested they'll be able to learn learn more yeah i think and and what you just hit on um through uh, finding your own intervention also got me to reflect for a second on the fact that we're really talking about two separate sleep behaviors that we need to address one is sleep onset getting that right condition for somebody to fall asleep the other one is the maintenance like you were discussing there is what is it that's that's causing my child to want to get up in the middle of the night? Are there things that I need to look at? And I think by, by analyzing those as a parent, you start to rule things out. You start to figure it out. Um, and it's, it's just putting it into context and, and being consistent, I guess, is, is probably what paid off for you all was the mm-hmm. consistency of that application. Yeah. And regarding sleep onset, I do, I do tell parents who get into the habit of, um, you know, getting their child to sleep on the couch and then moving them to their bed or rocking their child to sleep or nursing their child to sleep that, um, you know, what, what would it be like if you went to sleep in your bed and then woke up in your car where you go to sleep one way and you wake up and you have been moved, that would be distressing and confusing. And that's what it's like to to a child. So I'll usually tell people that a child needs to fall asleep on their own without a parent, you know, intervening, either rocking them or holding them, um, where when they wake up and they're on their own, they can roll over, get themselves comfortable and go back to sleep. If they've relied on a parent kind of helping them do that every night of their life, then that's what they're going to wake up and cry and request. Um, so that's, probably the most helpful thing that I would say for sleep onset. And, and you know, I, I think that's something that oftentimes we don't think about is that with autism is that there is a high comorbidity for anxiety. Mm-hmm. And in a situation like that, if somebody falls asleep in one situation, they wake up in another, 
is that that anxiety is going to be at a peak in the middle of the night and they're going to start having fear to go back to bed. And it's, it's things that you don't stop and think about. And I think that that's where having a, a pediatrician to talk to or a behavioral health team to be able to help support you with um, and creating a community to help through this process is so important. It's, it's having these dialogues, this conversation. Um, I, I, I actually, I have, I am always interested in technology and, and the advancement in technology. And if there's anything that's, that's helping for people to either monitor sleep or look at sleep in a different way with, uh, with children with autism. I mean, do you, have you seen any families that are using, whether it's uh, the Apple watch to be able to track their child's sleep habits or anything like that to get more information and data? Um, those are really interesting. I have not seen people use those. Um, and I think if people, as far as for diagnosing a sleep problem, it's best to just speak with your physician where, where they can talk, ask about snoring, ask about restlessness, kind of get a history and then, um, and then figure things out from there. The, the watches, while if you have a certain problem that's diagnosed, like if you know you have um, periodic limb movement disorder, also known as restless leg. Um, a Fitbit or an Apple Watch could sort of help you track that if you're being treated and you're trying to get some data on whether you're, you know, whether you're being adequately treated and how you're responding. Um, but I really, I would really hesitate to go out and get one to try to diagnose a problem. I think an evaluation with your physician and then perhaps a formal sleep study would be would be more appropriate for those things, which with maybe the technology maybe afterwards to kind of monitor your treatment. Um, but I think I would say that right now, especially in kids, their utility would be limited. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, it's, it's always looking at, you know, what's coming out. Is it yeah. valuable? Is it not valuable? And I think that, that that probably gives some indication that maybe we're not quite there to bring technology fully into this. And maybe a professional might be more of a support than, uh, than an Apple Watch. Um, not, no offense to Apple, I guess. The, uh, I mean, as, as we've kind of talked through this, I mean, it, it kind of has put a lot into perspective. Um, it's, I think about just all of the families that they're losing out on this opportunity to, to really help their child in the sleep um, field or domain um, by, by not taking advantage of what's out there, by not talking with their pediatrician and realizing that, you know, it is going to be hard. But the advantage is, is that if I give my child the chance to be able to be in the right condition with their sleep, with their diet, now I'm empowering them to tap into all those, all those abilities that they have to learn, develop, engage. Um, are, there, are there other parting kind of thoughts that, that you would leave with families as far as really prioritizing this and maybe understanding that sleep is a bigger concern um, on the medical end than maybe some of the other more visible conditions that they'd be seeing for their child with autism? Well, I think children with sleep uh, problems tend to have higher incidences of behavior problems, um, you know, say aggression, and, um, and they're going to have a harder time focusing and learning. So if you're uh, not sleeping well, you're going to struggle to meet those behavioral and educational goals. And um, Sleep should definitely be treated first. 
Um, I also wanted to mention another experience that we had that I, I try to share with patients because many people struggle with this is, um, is um, getting kids dry at night. Our, our second hurdle with sleep was once my son started not requiring drinks throughout the middle of the night, he would still wake up periodically because he was in a pull-up and his pull-up would be wet or his bedding would be wet. And then he might be up for a long time. And, you know, knowing that he had a neurodevelopmental disability, I knew it was going to take longer for him to achieve dryness. So I just kind of went with it for a while. And, um, and it just seemed like it was really taking a long time. And I was, I was tired. <laughs> so um, uh, when he was about nine years old, we purchased um, a bedwetting alarm. And for people who aren't familiar with these, these are, um, these are small alarms that are clipped to um, a child's pajamas near the shoulder, near the ear. Um, that's attached to a sensor that fits in their underwear that, that generates a really loud alarm when it um, senses moisture right when a child starts to urinate. And eventually they, they pair that sensation of having to go to the bathroom um, with waking up and they no longer need the alarm. And um, that worked for us after about two weeks. They say those, those take months to work, but for us it worked in a couple of weeks. And since then we've had, you know, good sleep through the night, but it's taken, it, it took some years to get there, but I would, um, I would encourage families that are struggling with that, um, you know, rather than trying medications to try to stop your child from producing urine at night, which may not be that healthy for them, um, to work on trying to teach them to wake up when they have to go to the bathroom. And, um, and that's, that was very helpful for us again. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes to show that, uh, the, the job of being a parent never ends. It's almost cyclical at times. First I teach my child how to sleep and now I need to teach them how to wake up. Exactly. It's not a fair world that we live in. Right. Um, <laughs> but now I've seen, I've seen those pads work as well. And I mean, and, and sometimes it's the planned awakening. It's, it's knowing, you know, when do they usually go to the restroom at night? Can I beat them to the punch and yep. wake them before it happens? But um, I all of these things are, are so hard and it takes a, a committed team. It takes a parent who knows that, you know, this isn't going to be fun, but the long-term gains are worth it, which unfortunately is behavioral health in a nutshell. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's hard work to get um, those, those big wins. Um, but I appreciate your time today, Dr. Jolma, and I think it's enlightening just to know from both a parent perspective and a pediatrician perspective how to start tackling these problems. And, uh, and it sounds like we're, we're oftentimes all on the same page in the treatment community that it, it, it's a mixture. It's parenting with medical advice, with behavioral health support. It's that as, as a group is that oftentimes there's an answer and it's just finding it. It so. is. It is. Um, and yeah, sleep is important. Parental self-care is important. And I always tell parents if you're, you know, if you're not taking care of yourself and that includes with, with sleep, it's, it's hard to take care of your child. So. Well, thank you so much again for joining us today. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Once again, I walk away from one of these discussions, this time with Dr. Jolma, with just so much to stop and think about. Um, it, obviously, we all know how important sleep is, but getting good sleep um, is, is really going to be a big indicator for a child meeting all of their developmental, social, and behavioral goals. 
each time that, that we're developing these plans or every time we're looking at our children and trying to figure out that next step, if sleep and diet are not being taken care of, it's going to be very hard, very difficult for us to be able to really help that child be empowered through the process. And there is no quick fix. Um, parents need to create a, a unique community of their intervention team, their pediatricians, and, and other support networks in order to really tackle this sleep, this sleep issue because it's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take persistence. It's going to take a lot of energy. Um, and being able to develop that, that routine and being able to be consistent are really the key factors. And I think Dr. Jolma hit on that. And it rings true with all of, all of my work clinically in the behavioral health world. And I think it rings true to all the parents out there who are experiencing this. Um, once again, thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you.